coming up next on Contemplate. How do we know that what we believe is true? Well, we have a bunch of tools we can use, right? If I want to know the temperature that water boils at, I'm going to use science, the tools we have in science, right? If I want to know who the fifth president of the United States is, I'm going to use the tools of history. If I want to know who got into the fridge and took that cake that I was saving for my cheat day, I'm going to use the tools of law enforcement. You hear that, kids? You are going to jail, whichever one of you did that. In this episode, Pastor David will examine some of the ways we've explained truth as we continue to look at why we believe what we believe. Here's Pastor David. So let's dive into a question. Let's start rolling here. Here's a question. How do people know that the things that they believe are true? How? How do they know? I mean, do we even care if things are true anymore is a question that I've got to ask myself sometimes. When I was, uh, before the Lord called us to move to Tennessee years back, I was practicing, practicing law out there, and my wife taught math at a local high school. And interestingly, this high school, they would have kids write essays in the math classes because they were wanting them to work on writing. Um, and, and so they're writing in their math classes, and, and they'd have a question like, should you know, schools go to a year-round schedule, pro or con, and the kids would write these essays. And the thing that was interesting is these kids, in these papers, they'd make arguments for their side. And one of the things they would really commonly do is they would write these statistics, like survey statistics. And they'd say something like, 87% of high school students believe that, that or disapprove of the year-round school program. Therefore, blah, blah, blah. They'd write stuff like that. Now, that might be strong evidence of student opinion, right? It might be. The only problem was there was no such survey. These students would just make up statistics and put them in their paper. And then you'd go and ask, Tiffany would ask, so where did the statistic come from? Oh, I just made it up. She'd be like, well, why would you do that? It's not, you know, oh, my other teacher told us that, you know, we should use statistics to bolster our arguments. Yeah, real statistics, right? You don't just get to make up 99% of people agree with me, right? So 99% of people agree with everything we're going to say today. Um, that's what they would do, right? It wasn't true. It wasn't real. How would you know if the things they wrote were true? You wouldn't because they were just making things up. Making things up apparently didn't matter to the students whether it was a total lie, which is interesting to me because I wonder to what extent those who are growing up right now in society do care about what truth is. Sometimes people manipulate information, right? Sometimes it happens. Claiming it's true claiming it's right. We have a concern these days with fake news, right? You've heard that. That's been out there. Fake news it actually made the list of words of the year for 2017 in the Collins Dictionary. This is what it said. Fake news, noun, false, often sensational information disseminated under the guise of news reporting. We all know what this looks like, right? We know what fake news looks like. It looks like a news story. We're in the Facebook feed. It's like news story. And then we find out it's bogus, it's not true. It's not real. You can go to you know, Snopes or one of these things. You find out, oh, that's a total lie. How do we know what's true with stuff like this going on? How do we know? In fact, there's all kinds of things that we have come to believe are true that are not true. I grabbed a list of things that you may have thought were true. Just for an example, just a few things. And some of you may know that these aren't true, but some of you may not. Napoleon, the emperor, the guy from France, was not short. He was slightly above average height for a Frenchman of his time. So the whole Napoleon complex thing, doesn't work. 
Swimming after you eat does not cause cramps. Although it can cause you to be short of breath, but usually not a problem. Kids, you can go in the pool, okay? When I was a kid, I was like, oh, don't go in the pool for an hour or whatever. I, how many hours of my life did I lose, Dad? <laughs> you cannot see the Great Wall of China with the naked eye from space, okay? We've been told that you can, you cannot. The tongue, does remember the map of the tongue, like bitter, sweet, sour, whatever, and it's got all these spots? <laughs> not sure. Does not have different sections for different tastes in your tongue. Milk does not make you produce more mucus. Therefore, you can have dairy when you have a cold. Congratulations. <laughs> Shaving does not thicken or darken hair. Sorry, son. And all kids that are that age, we're like, if I just shave this thing enough times, it's going to grow back so thick. You can shave it six times a day. It's not getting any thicker. Um, it'll happen eventually. It'll happen eventually. Uh, Vikings. Remember the horned helmets that those Vikings wore? They never wore horned helmets. Not real. Those helmets were created in the 19th century uh, and used for opera pieces and stuff like that. Wearing a horns on your helmet wouldn't have made any sense. We just grabbed that thing and, you know, just, anyway, they didn't. Bulls are colorblind. Red does not make them mad. It's the shaking that makes them mad. doesn't matter what color it is. Okay, here's, here's my favorite. And this is the last one I'll give you. You've heard. Some of you have heard that when you're sleeping at night, you're laying down and you're breathing out, that spiders, right, are attracted to your warm breath and that they crawl up and they go in your mouth and that the average person eats like eight spiders a year, right? You've heard this before. Thank God it's not true, okay? Not true. If you eat eight spiders a year, it's because you chose to eat eight spiders a year, in which case, you nasty, okay? Um, you probably swallow zero spiders a year. All right, now that I've set you free, let's, uh, let's ask our question again. So how do people know that the things that they believe are true? How do they know? Well, what is truth? Let's not get crazy philosophical on this because I think that this is one of those things that pretty much everybody has a pretty good idea of what they mean when they say the word truth, okay? Truth is the way things actually are, okay? A true statement is a statement that describes reality as reality actually is, right? That's what truth is. What is real? What is the real thing? That's what truth is, okay? So what is knowing? If we want to know truth, what is knowing? This one is a little harder. Knowing is a little harder. I think uh, I can think something is likely, right? I can think something is likely that the Huskies will beat the Ducks in their game later this year. That's likely. Get over it. Not even ranked, Okay. Um, it's likely, right? There's things that I can think are likely. I can be pretty sure of something that's another level. I can be certain of something. I mean, I know that that's true. These are all different degrees of knowing, right? In the law, we have a number of terms like probable cause or preponderance of the evidence or clear and convincing evidence or the one that most of you are familiar with, beyond a reasonable doubt from your trials. You remember. Um, only some of you. Um, beyond a reasonable doubt, right? All of these are descriptions of certain levels of certainty of knowledge. How much knowledge can I have? How certain am I? That's how we sort of describe it. When I was a kid, we were watching the Donahue show. So since I did the Reddit thing and everybody under 30 knew about that, and everybody over 30 didn't, now I'm switching it. Donahue, which everybody under 30 has probably never, what's Donahue? You guys remember Donahue, right? White-headed gentleman. Um, so we were watching an episode of Donahue or something, and 
and my, I think it was my mom, my dad, and I, and, and my brother, and my sister, and we're sitting in there, and there are all these uh, people on the show, and they were talking, you remember how the show kind of the setup was, these people were all talking about uh, the, the fact that they had overcome different addictions and stuff, um, and struggles, and so on, and one of them mentioned that she had been 12 years clean and sober. And the audience in the Donahue show just erupts, right? They're just, they're so happy for her. They're just like, you go, girl. That's, I don't think that was a thing that long ago. But they were just like, yay! And my brother gets this crazy confused look on his face. And he's like, what in the world are they so excited about the fact that this woman spent 12 years cleaning sofas? Because, because that's what he had heard. And he's like, what is the big deal about cleaning sofas? This guy's like, I'm going to be a sofa cleaner. People apparently are really excited about people cleaning sofas, right? Um, but he knew, he knew that what the woman had said was that she had spent 12 years cleaning sofas, except that she didn't, except that she didn't, right? He was sure beyond a reasonable doubt. This one was just bragging it up about her sofa cleaning ex- experience. Now, what we know is not always what we know, Right? What we know is not always true. There's a whole study in the field of philosophy called epistemology. You don't need to write that down. I'm not doing a pop quiz on this content or anything like that, but it's called epistemology. It's basically the study of how we know and what we can know. That's what it is. And throughout history, there have been a lot of different opinions and answers to that question. Okay? And we started in a time called pre-modernism. Now, you think pre-modernism, that wasn't long ago, right? We're modern now. We're modern man, modern whatever. Now, actually, when we're talking about philosophy, it's quite different. That pre-modernism is actually before, say, let's just say mid-1500s, about 1600, pre-modernism, okay? And there was an epistemology about that time. If you want to go deeper into this, we did a skeptics forum a couple years ago in 2016. It's all online. If you go to seekingskeptics.com, I think it's the first message that we do. I talk a lot about pre-modernism, modernism, postmodernism. I'm just going to give you a quick one, real quick one. Pre-modernism was kind of the what could we know? We could know what had been revealed, what sort of God had revealed. And how did we know it? We knew it through the scriptures and through the authoritative sources, right? The, the pope, the pastor, whoever. That was the kind of the pre-modern method of getting knowledge, Okay? Then we had modernism started coming around in about, you know, let's just say 1600 to make things easy. And modernism was different. What could we know? We could know everything that could possibly be proven. We could just know everything, basically. And how did we know it? Something called empiricism, right? We could know those things that we could see, touch, taste, hear, smell, that we could experiment with, right? This is kind of the rise of scientism. We can know those things, kind of like Dr. Francis Collins said, I can know those things that mathematics and chemistry and physics tell me. And, and those things can basically tell me everything. And as we come, as we figure all this out, we're so smart now, we're going to solve all the problems of the world. The problem was that modernism was around for several hundred years, and then we had two world wars that blew up the, the world. And they said, maybe we're not going to figure everything out. Maybe we're not going to bring this utopia in like we thought. Maybe there's more to life than what we can discover through empiricism. And that started the era of post-modernism, because it comes after modernism. Pretty clever name. Um, Post-modernism basically says, there's no such thing as truth. Which, of course, then you ask, is that true? Well, it can't be if there's no such... Anyway. There's no such thing as truth. There are no big stories that explain 
There's no meta-narrative worldview. There's no overarching story that can explain how things happen. There's basically just you. What can we know? Nothing. How do we know that? Relativism. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me, and we'll just go along all happily. But we're not that happy. But we're not that happy. All these philosophies have a view on how and what we can know. This is really important, okay? Because as a believer or as a skeptic, you have to have an answer to these questions about what you are able to know and how you're able to know it. If you can't answer those questions, how can you trust the things that you think you know? It'd be hard, right? Because you probably think you know some stuff. That's my guess. Or if you don't, hopefully you want to know some stuff. And you want to be able to describe how you know those things, why you should be able to believe, why your belief in those things is valid, why you have a warrant, why you're warranted to believe the things that you believe. So how do we know that what we believe is true? Well, we have a bunch of tools we can use, right? If I want to know the temperature that water boils at, I'm going to use science, the tools we have in science, right? If I want to know who the fifth president of the United States is, I'm going to use the tools of history. If I want to know who got into the fridge and took that cake that I was saving for my cheat day, I'm going to use the tools of law enforcement. You hear that, kids? You are going to jail, whichever one of you did that. I'm serious. Uh, right? We got different tools. Right? Law enforcement has an investigative way of discovering. Science has a way to investigate and discover evidence. History does. You know, the, in the law, we have ways of what we do. Okay, all, all of these things are ways and tools. Okay, They're all tools. They're methods. They help us arrive at conclusions for the things that we then believe are true. We gather enough evidence, right? We come to a conclusion. Unfortunately, there are still a number of people propagating the belief that the only way we can know anything is through the scientific method. The only problem with that is we can't use the scientific method to prove the scientific method. So I guess we don't know that only the scientific method can be proved. But that's a whole side thing. I, I won't even take the easy shots, okay? I mean, I know I just did, but there are a number of people who believe that. This would have been like the Francis Collins, Dr. Francis Collins earlier in his life. Only the scientific method, right? So for the question, answer the question, how do people know the things that they believe are true? Francis Collins would have said the scientific method. That's how they know. That's how they know. If something can be proven through the scientific method, then it can be proven true. If it can't be proven through the scientific method, then it cannot be proven true, and we cannot know it. And there are so many problems with that, with that statement, the first of which I've already mentioned, right? The statement itself cannot be proven through the scientific method. So it sort of self-defeats. But there are further problems. One of the things is this belief leads to scientific atheism, but not because it proves scientific atheism. It's because it assumes atheism. It assumes atheism because it limits the group of things which we can know to truthfully exist to only those things which can be repeated and measured in certain kinds of scientific experiments. And therefore, everything else is just not knowledge. It's just not real. So the philosophy assumes all kinds of things like atheism and like there's no purpose in life. It assumes a philosophy called hard determinism. Scientific atheists have to hold to a philosophy called hard determinism. It is a necessary component of scientific atheism. Okay, and hard determinism is basically, in other words, it's basically uh, there, there is no God and then therefore 
All the things that happen and all the things that exist and all the things that go on are things that happen by chance, and all those things were determined to happen. They couldn't have happened any other way. In other words, nothing that happens, including the thoughts that you think in your head, have happened for any reason other than the fact that they were going to happen and they're happening by chance. You have no control over them. Any sense of control that you feel about your life is an absolute illusion. Now, this puts the scientific atheist in a bit of a bind because if you can only think what you are predetermined to think, then you have no reason to believe that anything you think is actually true. Right? Charles Darwin called a version of this problem his horrid doubt. He says, but then with me... The horrid doubt always arises whether the convictions of a man's mind, which has been developed from the mind of the lower animals, are of any value or at all trustworthy. Would anyone trust in the convictions of a monkey's mind if there are any convictions in such a mind? British geneticist and evolutionary biologist J.B.S. Haldane makes the problem clear as well. This is what he says. For if my mental processes are determined wholly by the motions of atoms in my brain, I have no reason to suppose that my beliefs are true. Because I've been determined wholly by the motions of atoms in my brain. And hence, I have no reason for supposing my brain to be composed of atoms. You see the problem here? If you believe in scientism, that science is the only way to discover any truth, the problem is that it includes... Besides the fact that it doesn't make any sense as a philosophical statement, but the problem is that that, that that includes the belief, the necessary belief that you only believe that it's true because you were determined to believe that it's true and that therefore you can't depend on the fact that you believe that it's true. And so you get into this very vicious cycle that can really keep you up at night. This stuff really makes you think and wonder, doesn't it? Well, the good news is that there really is an answer. And as Pastor David will explain next time, it's found in the truth of Jesus Christ. And if we can answer your questions about Jesus, call us at 360-885-9000. Or better yet, come see us at Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. Easy directions and all the info you need are just a click away at axechurchnw.org. Thanks for listening. And I hope you'll join us next time for more life-changing truth here on Contemplate.